Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So I'm excited to be here. Today we are wrapping up our DNA sermon series. And I got to be honest with you, many of you know my uh, daughter Becky, son-in-law Pedro, and I've just become a grandfather in the last seven and a half months. Yes, you can cheer for that. And I love being a grandparent. I love it. As you know, many, uh, many of you know, they are overseas in Central Asia doing missions. But it's been interesting now that I am a, a father, grown like young adults, they're all, you know, 19 and to 20, going to be 25. And the conversations that we have had really deal with this whole idea of DNA. Our sermon series has been on DNA. What makes us, us, as a church, as a denomination, and as followers of Christ? We have talked about the Holy Spirit. We have talked about scripture. We've talked about missions. We've talked about parenting, gospel parenting. And for me, there are so many different aspects that as the pastor, but also as a parent, I want my kids to not only know, but certain things to be part of who they are as human beings. Do I get an amen, right? We think about those things. We think about when we're part of a church. We think about that when we're a parent. We think about that when we're part of an organization or a business that, that I want to ad- attach myself with like-minded people. And so today we are going to wrap up our sermon series and we're going to talk on a very specific topic. But before I jump into it, how many of you love board games? Anyone love board games? I hate games. Okay? I hate games. And I'll tell you why. I try to love games, but there's one game in this world that ruined games for me. And it's called Monopoly. How many of you love Monopoly? (laughs) How many of you dislike Monopoly? Okay, right? How many of you are sometimes forced to play Monopoly and about three hours into it, you're like, I just wasted three hours of my life. Now, little info. They have an extended version of Monopoly they just came out with. It's like a 12-hour game. So let me tell you, there was a point in my life that I really did love Monopoly. Until we were in Vermont with my four little kids. My oldest was at the time in fifth grade, and my youngest was in kindergarten. Why would you teach a kindergartner to play Monopoly? I don't understand what my wife was doing. So... It was one of those snowy or rainy winter days in Vermont, and we were just hanging out, and my wife was like, let's play games. And I'm like, here we go. Does she just, does she not understand the world's about to blow up? But I was going to be a good, supportive husband. And then she says, let's play Monopoly. And all the kids are like, yes, let's play Monopoly. So we divvy up the money. Everybody gets $500. That was the first fight because everyone wanted to make sure that everyone got $500. And then it was picking those little, little objects. The fight for the dog. No one wanted to be the, the, the pin thing, right? The little pin, what's that little metal thing? Yes. Yes, the pin bucket, whatever it's called. Uh, no one wanted to be that. And, and I remember that about halfway through the game, 
the world blew up. People were crying. My child, who never stole anything in their life, was sneaking money in their back pockets. And we were wondering where all the $500 went. And literally, like, halfway through the game, kids were crying, kids were running out of the room, we were fighting, I was trying to calm everyone down, and, and I literally turned to Sue, and I'm thinking, like, we have four amazing children, I'm thinking, who are these kids? <laughs> Two, we will never play a game again as a family, and three, we better teach them about how to handle their money how to biblically handle their money. Because something comes out when it deals with finances that literally wrecks our soul. Do I get an amen for that, right? And so even right now, some of you are freaking out like, he's gonna do the money talk. Anyone freaking out right now? Just give me an amen, you can say that. Last week, amen. Last week at the plant, it was one of the most refreshing Sundays for people. And I want this morning to be a very refreshing Sunday. Because all stewardship has to do with is everything belongs to God. That's all stewardship is. When we talk about our lives, when we talk about our mission, when we talk about our vocation, when we talk about our children, everything belongs to God. And all we are called to do is steward the things that God gives us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to talk about biblical financial stewardship. And my prayer is this, that you walk away from this morning and you see how God wants to reshape some things in your life, how you look at scripture and how you want to be a steward of everything God has given you. I will say this, my 21-year-old son, after church last Sunday, I went home, I said, how did it go? I kind of like flinched that knowing he says, Best sermon I've heard in a long time. I needed that. I'm a young man. I go to college. I work. I'm figuring this out. I'm going to get married. I want to do things God's way. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, you're up to something beautiful. And that's what I want to happen this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to ask you to do something very, very special. God, here's my prayer. I want each person in here to be able to trust you with every area of their life so that they would experience your faithfulness. I want every single one of us to be free to go where you call us to, to do what you call us to, and to be the individuals you want us to be. God, I want each one of us to be secure, not only in our identity, but financially, so that we can see how you are Jehovah Jireh. And God, I want us to learn contentment. Lord, I know that when we deal with certain topics in Scripture, it causes a, a place of discontentment. And I ask you today that we would begin to have a new sense of contentment, even with our finances. And lastly and most importantly, I want us as a church to be part of your kingdom movement. Lord, come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to first begin by talking about Jesus' understanding of finances. Because oftentimes we forget about this. Do you know that Jesus talked more about finances more than he did heaven or hell? Do you know that? Do you know that when he wrote, when he, when he taught 
his parables, the ones that were written down, there were 39 different parables that were written down. 11 out of the 39 referenced finances. Do you know the one sin that Jesus talked more against than any other sin is the sin of greed and wealth. Isn't that crazy? Because he knows what greed and wealth can do to the human heart. You see, what we like to do in our, in our little Christian bubbles is we like to identify the sins that we think are the worst. But Jesus says that something very dangerous happens with greed and with wealth. So now let's go to a, a bigger picture. Let's talk about a bigger picture. Do you know how many passages in Scripture reference finances? 2,350 verses reference finances. So in some way, God is saying that our finances, our understanding of our vocation and materialism has to do with the human heart. What does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, so your heart is also. And so you think about this idea. I mean, think about the names of God. The first name he says is, I am, I am. But then he gives several other names, but really like in the first seven names that Jesus gives to the Israelites, he says, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And so you see that when we're in a world where we are told that we have to provide for ourselves, there's this concept that when we surrender our lives to God, God says, I will take care of all of your needs. Think about Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. How much more will the Father provide for you? So 2,350 verses deal with finances. Do you know how many verses deal with anxiety? 365. Coincidence? How many days are there in a year? 365. I mean, think about the creativity of God. Like, literally, he knows our hearts so deeply that if every single day you need to read something about anxiety, there is a verse, a passage, or a portion of scripture that you can read in to say that God can control your anxiety. You don't have to be consumed with that. And so you see that. And then all of a sudden, you start looking at people in scripture. Because the truth is this. We all want God's provision. Do I get an Amen. A little louder, please. Do we all want God's provision? Amen? We can get loud for that one. That's one of those, like, you want to get loud, right? But it's one of those, but you look at different people, and God literally provided for everyone in Scripture. Think about Joseph. Joseph goes to his brothers, his half-brothers. Remember that, his half-brothers. And he says, I will rule you one day. And his brothers say, no, we will throw you into a pit. So God gave him a vision that one day that he was going to provide for such a way that he wasn't just going to provide for Joseph, but he was going to use Joseph to provide for his family. But for 27 years, Joseph lived in a place of bondage. Did you ever think about that? He was thrown into a pit. He was thrown into jail. But he trusted Jehovah Jireh. Think about David, the young shepherd boy. He wasn't supposed to be king. Saul was supposed to be king, and then Jonathan was supposed to be king, but Saul messed it up, and God went to a middle-class shepherd family. And instead of choosing the first, he chose one of the siblings, and he says, you will be king. So where does a king live? 
in a castle, right? A castle. But do you know for the first part of David's life, there were moments that he lived in a cave. Do you know that? He hid in the woods. And yet God said, I will provide for all of your needs according to my riches so that I get glory through your life. Think about that. Think about Ruth. Here's Ruth. Marries a man. Her husband passes away. She moves to her mother-in-law's land, a foreign land. Now she's an immigrant. She doesn't have working papers. She doesn't have all the things that she can need to just kind of fall into the community. She looked different. She spoke different. She acted different. And the only thing that she could do is follow behind all of the workers and pick up the scraps. But yet, this is what she said, that she was going to follow her mother-in-law's God because her mother-in-law's God always took care of her as a widow. And so, who, did the, who, did, who came out of Ruth's lineage? Jesus. Think about that. Think about the widow. I, I love this picture of the widow. Because here's Jesus, it's later on in the Gospels, it's, it's really right before he's, he's going to go to the cross. And he grabs his disciples, and they're looking at a distance, and they're seeing all the religious leaders and all the wealthy people dropping different coins into the, into the offering plates. And all of a sudden, this, this widow comes up with two little coins. And these two little coins were, were her government weekly allowance. That's what she was given, two little coins to drop into the bucket. And she should have kept them. She should have stored them up, but instead she just went up and she just dropped them into the bucket. And she, Jesus turned to his disciples and she said, and he said to his disciples, she gets it. Because God always provides. God always provides. And so when we look at scripture, we actually get to see that the hand of God provides for us in every circumstance. But for us, as Westerners, we want to play fair. I mean, the truth is this. We want the moment we become followers of Jesus, or even before that, that life is a game of monopoly. Do I get an amen? Everybody starts with 500 bucks, right? Everybody starts with 500 bucks. And in that, everybody gets to start off on a level playing field, and then it's up to us to determine how much we lose or how much we make. That's Westernized thinking. You see, life is not fair. And each one of us are dealt a different hand. Each one of us is born into a family that either had a lot or a little or just enough. And we are in a situation that God is saying, am I your provider? Look what it says in scripture. It says here, it says, if you, it says just as the rich rule the poor... So the borrower is servant to the lender. Wealth does not have a fairness mentality. Wealth does not have a fairness mentality. Look at the verse. How many of you have ever been? You don't have to raise your hand for this one because this could be embarrassing for some. But I'll admit, I have been slave to the lender. I have found myself slave to the lender. Missing out on certain things I've wanted or certain things I've wanted to do because of the lender. And so, yes, it's true that there is an unfairness about all of our financial circumstances. And it seems like the more we have, the more greed we have 
that builds up in our heart. Just think over the last two weeks, FTX, right? We've all seen that in the news, the whole crypto thing. This guy was 30 years old. He had 16 billion, should I say it again, billion dollars. That was his money. It wasn't his family's money. And right now, I actually know someone working on the case for the bankruptcy. And it's unbelievable what's going on. The manipulation, the lies, the robbery that this young man had performed. How much is too much? I could say to you and say, what do you need to just kind of be happy? Some would say a million. Some would say five. Some would say 10. Some would say $100 million. And so you have this whole idea. But, but watch, what, watch what Jesus says. And I oftentimes think we read this verse wrong. It's a, he says this, Jesus, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about us and how we handle the things that God has given us. He's talking about how we steward our lives, our vocation, our gifts, our talents, our time. And he's really putting the responsibility on us. How we handle the little things are how we will handle the large ones. Andrew, can you give me a drink of water? <coughs> Excuse me. But how true it is. Like just because someone is successful and has gained a lot of money does not mean they did it right. That's what we see. But there's this whole idea of what's fair and what's unfair. You see, what happens is, is when we start, stop playing by the rules, so let's talk about my children playing Monopoly, it disrupts everything. Amen? When we stop playing by the rules, we step out of bounds and we get in trouble. And so there's three big ways that I see in our culture Call it Mawa, call it West Milford, call it Warwick, call it, call it Midland Park, that we have all stepped out of bounds as one with our children, helping them understand what true finances are. And so now we, we live in this, this idea that our kids have to have everything that everybody else has, and so they live in this place of entitlements. You have how many little kids? Three? Four. Four little kids. Wow. Bless you. Bless you. Right? And, and they're going to go to school. And they're going to see their friends, and they're going to go to Christmas, and they're going to go to the, the, the holidays. And, and like you have these like five-year-olds saying, I need an iPhone. What does a five-year-old need an iPhone for? Please, what do they need an iPhone for? But it's true. And literally, there, you have people who are just weeping, like, I don't give my kids enough. And we, we create this, in, this entitlement with our children. Couples argue over finances. The, the three major things that couples fight over, and it's not just a stereotypical thing, it's true. Money, sex, and in-laws. Do I get an amen? Everyone just murmured the amen, right? Just call it what it is. Money, sex, and in-laws. And one of those three would be really kind of the one place of tension that you wrestle with. And it's not even that you have enough. It's how you're spending what you have. Correct? It's what you're doing with what you have. And how you're doing that. And so it causes arguments. But then the last one is consumer debt keeps us open, 
out in the open to real huge potential problems. I was so proud of Becky and Pedro, my daughter and son-in-law. And before they went overseas to Central Asia, they had to get rid of all their debt. They got married young. They had student student loans, student debt. They actually had $65,000 of debt that they had to get cleared up before they could go overseas. It's part of one of the nice things about being part of a denomination. And so they said, in order for us to do and be who God has called us to, this is our first responsibility. In 10 months, my son-in-law and my daughter paid off $65,000 worth of debt. And you're like, well, what did he do? He was a medical technician. My wife, my, sorry, my daughter was a para at a school. My daughter worked for Starbucks. But they had it in their head and in their heart that this is putting us in a prison that we are missing out on what God has next and we will do whatever it takes to pay off this debt so we can live God's best life now. Ten months. Because they knew God was Jehovah Jireh. They knew that they were imprisoned, missing all that God had for them. How amazing is that? I mean, that that was a lesson from from a child to a parent. That, Rob, any debt you have, you could pay it off if you handle your money properly. And so many people, they talk about what they want to do, how they want to participate, what they want to be a part of. They say, if I only, if I only, if I only. And today you need to stop and say, I'm going to do these things as I learn to steward the things that God has given me. How cool is that? And so, I want to give you five principles. Five principles that I want you to right now be able, and you can take out your cameras and you can, you can take pictures of them and you can pray through them, but I really want God today to wrestle with one of these areas in your life this week because I believe that God has provided for you in such a way that the best is yet to come. And that's not, that's not this whole idea of a prosperity gospel. That's the gospel. God will provide, and he will do it in such a way that he will surprise you. If he could surprise my daughter and son-in-law, he will surprise you as well. So first, in stewardship, this is, I think, is the most important lesson of them all. Earn diligently. Earn diligently. Okay, what does that mean? Look what it says in Scripture. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. In Scripture, people were, jo- were, 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 were really joining with the early church because they saw their lives. Jesus says, let your life shine so amongst men and women that they're drawn to you. We should be the best workers in our environments, in our vocations. What we do, we should be the best. And what do I mean the best? We should have the best attitude. We should have the best posture. And we should be ones who are there willing to work and serve in a way that Jesus serves us. I believe that when we are Christians, our vocations are our gospel vehicles. What do I mean by that? If you are a teacher, God called you to teach. If you are a business person, God has called you into 
business. If you are a banker, God has called you into banking. If you are a stay-at-home parent, God has called you to stay-at-home parenting. Whatever you are doing in your vocation, that's your gospel vehicle. And God has you at that place in this season so you can be the light, so others get to see Jesus for who he really is. Because we are the testimony of Christ. And when you go to work, you don't work for your earthly boss. You work for your heavenly father. Amen? Right? Because when that happens, God does amazing things. Think about Joseph. He had every reason to not work hard. People set him up for failure. Think about the whole picture of the dreams. He gives dreams to people. One guy gets like his head cut off. The other person forgets about him. And he's thinking like, I'm never going to go above and beyond that what I'm supposed to do. Yes, we are called to go above and beyond what we are supposed to do because our vocations are our gospel vehicles. I love that some of the most godly individuals that I know are not pastors. They're people who are teachers. They're people who are in the business world. I love that. I love when I get to hear someone say, man, God has called me to such and such. Earn diligently. In your job, trust that in this moment, God has put you in that vocation for a reason. He will pull you out at his perfect timing, but all you are called to do is work unto your boss as to working for the Lord. Do I get an amen for that? And if the church began to do that, we would see revival. But too many Christians act just like the world. They lie, they cheat, they steal, and they're lazy. How can you be lazy when you're a follower of Christ? I don't get it. Two, give generously. Remember this, it says in Scripture. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who, who gives cheerfully. If you don't trust God with your money, then you will trust more in your money than in God. Giving is something that I had a fortunate opportunity to learn from a man who was extremely generous. I remember when I was a little boy, my dad pulled me in when he was paying the bills one time, and he was doing that every Saturday, because when you have seven kids, you're always paying bills. And I remember he pulled me in, and he said, Rob, I want to talk to you about finances. This is the only financial conversation we ever had. He says, I want to talk to you about how I'm generous. He says, the first thing I do is I give to the church. I give my tithe. And then I give the missions, and I give this much. And then I give to this, this much. And whenever someone borrows money for, for, from me, I never ask for it in return because I will always be disappointed. And we see in Scripture that there is an attitude of generosity. You see, we, we say, well, I don't want to talk about that tithe thing. Like in the Old Testament, it was tithing, 10%. And everyone says, well, we're now part of the New Covenant, so we don't have to do tithing. Well, do you know what it says in the New Testament? Everything you have is God's. Maybe we need to go back to the Old Testament, right? Think about that. Everyone's like, I don't want to do 10%. 10%, Think about the early church. They were so wowed with the kingdom of God 
That they said, everything I have is his. I'm working for the movement. I remember one time that I was really wrestling with how much I give. And my oldest son, I said, here's my financial teachable moment for my son. And it was about November, December, and he came in, Brandon came in. I said, hey, Bam. I said, I want you to keep me accountable. He was probably in eighth or ninth grade. I said, this past year, I gave this much to the plant. I said, I, I sponsor a child, and I do all these things, but, but this much I gave to the plant. I said, this is how much I want to give this year. He said, okay. I said, I want you to keep me accountable. I want you to ask me how I'm doing with my giving because I want to learn to be a generous person because everything I have is God's. You know what's been so cool is watching my eldest son and how he deals with his finances. Watching that how he works in the city two days a week, that he literally goes shopping for the homeless people and he fills his backpack and he starts giving things away. It's part of what he does. You see, mommy and daddy's out there. Your kids are a reflection of you. Every aspect, your temperament, your emotions, what they want to do in life, and even how they look at finances. Are you generous? Are you generous to the church? Are you generous to the things around you? One other story. This past year, my wife and I had a real strong conviction. How do we support other pastors who struggle? And so we really prayed about it. And I'm only telling this story not to woo you with us, but for something that God would put on your heart. So every single month, my wife and I, we, we pray about a pastor in our district. And we send him and his wife out to a really nice dinner just to know that God has their back. And God will provide for a date night once a month. And so how do we practice this? I want my kids to be generous. I want them to live in that space. But my kids are not going to be generous unless I am generous. My kids will work hard as I work hard. Something happened when I became a grandpa. I became a mush. I mean, I really have stepped back. And I said, wow, I have a second half of my life to mirror all the things that, that, that I, the people I love most to see how I live. Let me give you a third. Save appropriately. This is a biblical principle. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. In another translation, it says, A wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Saving is making provisions for tomorrow. Do I get an Amen. Savings makes provisions for tomorrow. And we need to be people, Christian godly people who save appropriately because your appliances will break, right? Your car, the moment you buy that new toy that you've wanted for the last five years, the moment you buy that thing, the one thing in your house that's been holding on for a moment is going to fall apart. And where's that money coming from? And Solomon. Think about Solomon. He ran a kingdom, and he saved for the kingdom appropriately because he knew that there were going to be seasons of much and seasons of little. And so are you? Are you actually saying, God, am I looking at what I make every month? 
And am I putting something away, not just for the rainy day, but for whatever you have next? Whatever you have next. So that you are not always a slave to the lender. You see, God doesn't want us to be a slave to anything. Amen? And anything means that that thing is attached, attached to a person or an entity of persons. And God is saying, I don't want you to be a slave to anyone. I want you to live in your identity of who you are as sons and daughters of God. And right now, maybe that's one of your convictions. Man, I feel like it's always raining. I feel like it's always raining. Let me give you a fourth. Spend moderately. Beware, Jesus says. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So in other words, spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. Right? Let me just, let me just share. Dave Ramsey says 90% of people in our culture buy things they can't afford. Has anyone ever bought something they can't afford? Do I get an amen? Right? Just me and John Mitchell in the back. Right? Haven't you? Haven't you said, well, well I, just need a, I just need the car play. Right? I just need the whatever it is, that extra thing. So let me give you a funny story. My kids were all little, and there was that season, well, it's always a season when Disney is everything, right? Disney World. Everyone has to bring their kids to Disney World or they're really bad parents, right? Is that what we're told? Like, if you don't send your kids to Disney World at least once, then your kids will probably be taken away from you, right? That's what they say. I'm just telling you. So I'll never forget, my kids were little. And I heard about every single family going to Disney World. And I can't afford Disney. Because everyone's telling me, when you go to Disney, think about how many people are in your family and times that number by 1,000. So six times 1,000 is $6,000. Now that number has already gone up. So I came home one day and I was just, I'm like, I'm like that's it. We're going to Disney World. And my wife's like, what just happened? I, I said, we're going to Disney World. She goes, no, we're not. I said, yes, we are. My voice changed. I said, I don't care, whatever it takes, we're going to Disney. We'll throw it on the credit card. My kids are not missing out. So she's like, Rob, please, you're going off the rails right about now. We sat around dinner, and, and I said, guys, I want to give you a vacation option. I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to let you decide, because I was trying to be really helpful to my wife. I said, you can go to Disney World, and I make this huge thing about Disney. Mickey and Minnie and the rides and the food and the hat with the ears. Everyone gets one. Or you can go to Vermont. You can go to Grandma's house, play in the woods. We'll go to the stream. We'll eat pizza. And my kids started crying. They said, we don't want to go to Disney. We want to go to Vermont. I said, what just happened? They're like, we want to go to Vermont. We want to go in the stream. We want to go to the train shop. We want to do all these things. We don't want to go to Disney. And my wife just started cracking up and laughing at me. She's like, you are about to spend everything we have, put ourselves in debt to satisfy your soul. Do you really know what your kids need? And so when we go on vacation, we're able to do what we can because all our kids really want is mommy and daddy. And that was such a lesson about this whole idea of spending moderately. We didn't go in debt in Vermont. 
Matter of fact, we had some extra money to do more things that weekend than we normally did. Why? Because God honored our decisions. So think about these. So far, four. Earn diligently, give generously, save appropriately, and spend moderately. Everyone's like, wait, when's, when's the big ass coming? Like, when's Pastor Rob going to ask for the gym? When's Pastor Rob going to ask for the offering? That, that's not what today's about. Today's about you being in a healthy place where Jesus is Lord of all. And you are surrendering everything you have to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe who owns all the cattle on a thousand hill. And the last point is this. Invest wisely. For the most part, at some stage in all of our lives and in all of our careers, we will have a form of investment. 501C, 403B, whatever it is. At some point, my grandfather was in the ministry. He was a pastor. And after he passed away, he just kind of did the, I'm not going to be wise with my money. I'm just going to give it all away. And he left my grandmother with nothing. He was the most amazing husband. He was the most amazing father. My, my mom is enamored with my grandfather, and he's been gone for almost 40 years. He was such a good daddy, but he never invested for his wife's future. She literally sat me down, and she said, Rob, as a minister, please, for everything that's good and holy, put $20 away a month. Invest for the future for your family. Invest wisely. Look, look what... Look what Solomon says, but divide your investments among many places, for you do, not want, you do not know what risks might lie ahead. If someone tells you a way to get rich quick, it's a scheme, and it's going to ruin you. How are you investing your money? Because when we invest wisely, we are being about kingdom work and kingdom stewardship. Think about that. I mean, how many times when we hear about from preachers who preach on finances, all they preach about is giving. That's one fraction of what we do with our finances. Can you put the big circle up on the, on the screen? Right? If you're going to a church, and maybe for some of you, this is your day to decide that we are part of the plant. If your church is not teaching stewardship in that circle, then there are selfish ego motives that are all about them building their castle rather than you being part of the kingdom of God. Invest wisely. Look what's going on. I mean, we want to make this real life. Supposedly, there are multiple professional athletes that had hundreds of millions of dollars invested with FTX. Hundreds of millions of dollars, and they just lost all of it. How much more could these pro athletes have? Because greed. You see, when Jesus talks about finances, all he's talking about is the condition of the human heart. That's all he cares about. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money to control you. Do I get an amen? Right? Can I say a little amen louder, right? He does not want your money to control you. Do I get an amen? 
right? Seriously, he wants you to live in a place, as we talk about all the time, open heart, open hands, so that we are being part of the kingdom of God, so that we get to trust Jehovah Jireh to provide for us as we provide for others, those closest to us and those who are extended out. And the reason why so many Christians struggle with finances is A, they've never handled them properly, or two, they've been taken advantage of. And that needs to stop now. So, as a man of the cloth, as clergy, I actually have a double ordination. So I can double, I can say this two times. Forgive us. Forgive us. How we have, how we have financially manipulated you in the past. Will you accept our forgiveness? Because all we care about is this, that you are trusting God, that he is Jehovah Jireh. And you are going to go into this Thanksgiving week and then into the Christmas season in such a way that you can step away from everything that's going on and you can say, God, you are my provider. You are my provider, and I will continually trust you with the provisions you have given me. So how do I want to wrap this up? When we have a kingdom perspective and live in God's provision and in the boundaries that he has set, here is what happens. First, you get to experience God's faithfulness as you trust him. When you play by the biblical mandates and principles, you get to experience God's faithfulness as you trust him. God is provider. Two, you get to have freedom to go where God wants you to go, do what God wants you to do, and give what he wants you to give. I think about my daughter and son-in-law. They are living their best life now because they would not allow their ego and their financial prison to determine what was going to drive their lives. Talk about a life lesson from a child to a parent. Three, you get to create financial security that prepares you for the future. No matter how little or how much you have, when you follow the biblical principles, God sets you up for the future in his way that he wants to provide for you. Then lastly, we get to learn contentment. And a big part of our discontentment stems from our consistent fixation on wealth or the lack of wealth. Here's my prayer that you would live in the fullness that God has for you. And you would learn to be the greatest stewards of every aspect of your life, whether it be parenting, whether it be your vocation, or whether you, it be your finances. And I believe when the church does this, that's when we see revival. Revival is not just a big worship concert. Revival is a transformation of hearts that has is, that is caught fire and is lighting other people up 
to want to know and experience the fullness that God has for them. Amen? Amen? Anyone need this today? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.com. Thank you.